0: Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. We're continuing our walk through the book of James. We have this week and next week, and then read the back of your sermon notes to see a huge journey we're about to go on through that will last us an entire year. The church calendar begins with Advent, which is the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. And so after this service, we're actually going to start talking about Christmas. I know you guys are pumped. It's going to be good, good times. Advent is a a wonderful way to remind us that Jesus came once and he's coming back again. And I want to begin this morning by reminding you of that. That if you have received the gift of salvation that's available to us in Christ, you have coming to you soon, someday, a real historical moment when you will comprehensively and immediately experience the elimination of every form of suffering. There is a day coming when there will never again be reason to feel sad, depressed, anxious, self-conscious. There is a day coming where nothing inside of you will feel unsafe. There's a day coming where you will be able to walk any corner of this earth without being anxious about what could happen to you. There's a day coming where your bodies will no longer break down. You'll no longer get sick. There's a day coming where you can walk into any room and not have any sense of worry about what could happen in that room. You will not be judged. You will not be talked about in any negative way. There is a day coming where all forms of human suffering will be comprehensively and immediately eliminated. And if you are a follower of Jesus and you don't think about that day regularly, then your vision will become spirit, spiritually myopic. Myopic means you'll be able to see near things more clearly than distant ones. So you'll be you'll be um, Nearsighted, right? That's nearsighted when you can see things that are close. I'm talking to the, the guy whose dad's a doctor. It's like nearsighted is, yeah, yeah. You can see things close that are clear, but, but not far away. Far away is blurry. So you're focused on what's in front of you. We become spiritually myopic when we don't think about that day that Jesus is returning. And some of the things that happen when we become spiritually myopic is we, we worry about the things that are happening in this life. You know, it used to be that you just have to worry about the things that are happening in your immediate life, but now with technology, you know, we worry about things that are happening all over the world, and we're not meant to carry that type of weight of grief and suffering and worry. If you become spiritually myopic, you only see what's happening in the world around you and how it's affecting you. And so your emotions and your feelings and your sense of security and safety just wavers depending on what's happening around you. You're only focused on what's happening in your friendships. You're only focused on what's happening at school. You're only focused on what are you going to do with, the, with your future or um, I'm just not really happy with my with my life right now. You're just focused on the things around you. That's what happens when we become spiritually myopic. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a better thing to look toward. So if you're a follower of Jesus and you don't think about that day and that reality frequently, at least daily, you are missing out on a significant reservoir of spiritual strength and practical encouragement for your life right now. When we entrust our lives to Jesus, it's like going to work on a Thursday when you know that you're taking a two week vacation after Friday. That's what it's like to be a Jesus follower in this particular period of world history. It's like if you go to Worcester going to school on May 20th, knowing that your last day is May 24th this year, which is crazy. I used to get out of school like at June 15. <laughs> Like, it's, a, it's almost a month earlier, but May, anyways, May 20th, you're going to school, it's your last week of school, Friday's coming, the summer, summer will be here soon. In both of these examples, you don't just passively do nothing, unless you were me as a senior in 1994, in both of these examples, you're supposed to keep working, you're supposed to keep living your life, but you're working while you're waiting. For us, today is Monday. Monday of the last week of school. And the summer that we are anticipating is a never-ending summer. Now, James has been hitting us pretty hard with Christian ethics. Thank you, Eric, Pastor Eric, for taking a sermon that hits really hard in some things, and I'm always happy when I don't have to be the bad guy. You did a great job with that. Thank you. James has been hitting us pretty hard with Christian ethics. And in today's passage, he reminds us, as we live out these ethics, where our eyes should be fixed. So let's read together James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we considered those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Father, help us to fix our spiritual vision on you, on what you've done for us in the past, on what you are doing for us now, and particularly with today's passage, what you will do for us in the future. In Jesus' name, amen. The first phrase that I want us to fix our eyes on is in verse 8, establish your hearts. Establish your hearts. This means, in a lot of ways, like stabilize yourself. Fix yourself, attach yourself to something Bigger than you, that is already stable and steady. Establish your hearts. And this same Greek verb is used in the haunting verse of Luke 22:32, where Jesus tells Peter something that's happening behind the scenes, which would p- put Peter in great peril if it wasn't for Jesus praying for him. It's a very haunting verse. Luke twenty two thirty two 32 says, Jesus says to him, Simon, Simon, behold. He says his name twice. That's putting, like, it's highlighting it. And then he says, behold, which is like putting it in bold. He's really trying to get Peter's attention. He says, Simon, Simon, behold. Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. That tells us a lot about how do we battle evil. Faith. And when you have turned again, in other words, when your faith is reestablished and re-strengthened, when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. That same Greek word that is established in James 5.8 is strengthen in this passage. So in other words, when you yourself have been strengthened, use that to stabilize the people around you. Use that to strengthen the people around you. Speak words and say things that move people's vision from what they see around them to the future event of the day of the Lord. You have to do that carefully and creatively or else you just sound weird but there is a way of doing that that is very fruitful and effective. The same Greek word for establish and establish your hearts is also used in Luke 9:51. when the days drew near for him to be taken up, this is Jesus it's talking about when the days drew near for him to be crucified, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. I can imagine Jesus standing on a mountain or somewhere outside of the city and looking at Jerusalem and and knowing this is why I was born. This is why I came to earth to die to be crucified for the sins of all and to be raised back to life and I I'm setting my face right there. I'm not going to be detracted by the disciples who think that we should just take up our swords and fight I'm not going to be detracted by the disciples who say I should protect myself. I'm setting my face to what God has called me to do. That's the same Greek word he's telling us to do. James is telling us to do. Set your gaze on the return of the Lord. Look at verse 8. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Why? Because Establish your hearts. Jesus is coming back. Verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until what? Until the coming of the Lord. That day is something that should influence and shape every decision we make. Everything we do. It should always be at the forefront of our thinking. It's all over the New Testament. Jesus tells us to do that. Paul tells us to do that. There are parts of Paul's letters that I can't go a page without seeing it multiple times. James is telling us to do that. Peter tells us to do that. John tells us to do that. The authors of scripture remind us over and over in the New Testament, he's coming back. Look to that day to borrow strength for today. There are things about the lifestyle of following Jesus that are too much, too difficult, too against the grain for me to be able to do those things consistently. It's just too difficult. I mean, here's the Christian ethic summed up in a phrase. Perpetual self-denial for the good of others. That's the Christian ethic. Perpetual self-denial denial for the sake of others. That's, that's the entire New Testament ethic summed up in a phrase. I don't know about you, but I need something very high octane for me to actually live that way. Unfortunately, God has given us tons of resources. He's given us himself He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us everything we need. He has ways of waking us up when we get spiritually apathetic. He has ways of giving us seasons of refreshment when we get spiritually overwhelmed. He has ways of helping us out of every single possible temptation. He has mercy and grace waiting for us when we run back to him when we mess up. He has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Everything. This is a biggie. This is a really big one. Keep this one truth always at the forefront of your thinking. Jesus is coming back. And allow that truth to borrow a phrase coined by my favorite seminary professor of all time, Michael Allen. Allow that truth to provide the oxygen and energy for our obedience. How is it possible to live a life of self-denial? To sacrifice my preferences, my comforts for the sake of others continuously, it becomes more feasible if I keep that truth at the forefront of my thinking. Jesus is returning in every act of selflessness done in the name of Christ will be rewarded. If we live for that, here's the type of stuff that's possible. If we do something for someone and they never thank us or acknowledge us, it won't matter because Jesus is returning and he will reward every act of selflessness. We'll be able to live for an audience of one. We won't care what other people think. We don't care what that other people notice what we do. We don't care when we feel rejected by others because we're not rejected by Jesus. We will literally be able to live for an audience of one. Jesus is returning. Every act of selflessness will be rewarded. We'll be enabled to give our lives away for the sake of others without keeping score, without keeping track. I've done this the last 10 times. You haven't done this once. You don't need to do that anymore. Jesus will reward every single time. So who cares what they say? And who cares what they do? You don't live for them. We live for Jesus. There is someone who's keeping score. And it's the only one that matters. Now, if you're discipling someone, if we're discipling people, and we're not using this truth as a form of encouragement and help, We're not following the biblical pattern of encouragement. We're leaving a lot on the table. We're we're ignoring large segments of the New Testament, where the writers of the New Testament, in their discipleship conversations with the readers, are saying, He's coming back, He's bringing with Him rewards stay faithful stay steady don't just look at what's happening around you look through what's happening around you to that day we ought to continually creatively find ways to re-fix our eyes on that coming reality i just sort i'm doing a i'm starting to take this seriously i didn't for a long time but i'm starting to think a lot about that day and about heaven. Now, I just ordered this book. It's from a series of books called Theology in Community. It's a really strong series, and this book is called Heaven. And so there's a lot of different authors that write, each of them write a different chapter on heaven. It's, it's very well done, very encouraging. It's a slow read. You can come look at it after service if you want to. There's also other books on heaven that you can you can check out that are very encouraging. But the point is, learn new things. Our our imagination about heaven is so impoverished. It really is. Because right now, think of heaven. What do you think about? Like, you're probably thinking about clouds. And translucent beings who are somehow managing to walk on gold streets. Our imagination, when the Bible uses imagery that in that time would have sparked imagination. We read it and we take everything so literally that we we genuinely think that we're going to be in clouds. And that's not very compelling. If someone who is in Christ dies now, they are right now with Jesus in paradise. We don't stop there. We are never meant for that to be the landing space. You know what the landing space is? Here. 2 Peter 3.13, according to his promise, we're waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. The earth won't be destroyed and recreated. The earth will be renovated. The image of fire that one of the authors in in the Bible uses, some people think it means it's going to burn up the whole earth and there's not going to be anything left. But he's talking about the image of water right before that. And what it means, he's going to cleanse the earth from everything that has been broken or hurt or damaged or stained or scarred by the fall, by sin. You can imagine what that's going to be like. When Jesus comes back, everybody who's died, who's with him right now in paradise, and everyone who's still alive in Christ will receive a new resurrected body. You can learn about what that will be like by looking at the resurrected body of Jesus, which is a prototype, a first fruit of what our bodies will be like. And this earth will not look like something completely different. It'll look better in the same way that Jesus's resurrected body is a prototype for new humanity. It's also a prototype for all of new creation. So there will still be trees and walks and campfires, there will still be beautiful rivers and valleys and mountains and buildings and grapevines and feasts. Feast and let your imagination feast on that new upcoming reality. It will change how you live now. A million people have said that your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. What if your life, what if your strongest thoughts was about Jesus in that day of his return? What you think about expands. It takes up more space in your thinking and it begins to affect your heart and your life more and more. What if instead of thinking about this life, you thought about his return and allowed that to affect how you live now? Based on what I'm learning in scripture from trusted sources, I am anticipating a day, let's say 10 million years from this day, Where we are sitting around a giant feast, a giant table, and we're in the habit of doing this regularly. We take walks in breathtaking scenery. We stay up all hours of all days around campfires talking together. Eating delicious food with a sense of taste that's been awakened our sense of taste right now might be one millionth of what it'll be then. Lounging in no particular hurry for anything because we have all eternity. And turning to one another at some point, because we're not going to get dumber in heaven. We're not going to forget things. And turning to one another at some point and saying, remember when Greg talked about this? Remember when we, were, we planted Southside It's actually going to happen. And we would do so well to begin to believe that that day is actually going to happen. James teaches us that thinking about that day empowers us for this day. Here's your only two fill in the blanks. I'm sorry for those of you who like to fill in the blanks. I'll do better. Future blessing prompts present behavior. Michael Allen, future blessing prompts present behavior. Looking ahead to that day prompts, empowers, guides how we ought to live now. Bill Dogdrum, a hero of mine, a friend, says this. It is important to remember that the telos, the end of life, the goal to which we strive is Christlikeness. This immediately relativizes any other goal. Happiness, success, pleasure, whatever. The goal is Christlikeness becoming the kinds of people that God can trust and can then empower to do whatever we want. You've heard that before. Anything that undermines, distracts from, or substitutes for that outcome is likely an idol and must be killed, or it will kill us and disable success in the one thing, which is the kingdom of God. Looking ahead to that day, keeping our eyes fixed on the kingdom now and the coming kingdom, enables us to live out the Christian ethic. And in this passage, we see James gives two examples of that ethic, that Christ-like behavior. In verse 9, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Live ethically. Love others don't grumble against one another one another. Why? Because the judge is standing at the door. In ancient Middle Eastern times, legal proceedings were handled as soon as someone walked into the, the city gates. they would just handle them right away. So any type of, type of legal proceeding, if there was whatever, if there was discipline that needed to be doled out, Whatever it was, if there was a disagreement over ownership of land property, whatever it was, it would be handled right inside the city gates. This is saying Jesus is standing right outside the city gates. He's standing at the door. He's right here. Don't grumble against each other. He's right here. He's about to come. The judge of the world is about to walk through the city gates. That's what James is saying. If you're in Christ, you have nothing to worry about other than forfeiting reward. What James is saying is if you have a habitual pattern of grumbling, it might be evidence that the Spirit himself does not live inside of you. And you should take that very seriously because Jesus is like, he's right there. And it feels like that right now, doesn't it? In this world, the things that are happening, it feels like Jesus is right there. And he is. The other ethic is in verse 12. That's a very fascinating verse we don't have time to get into But then James provides in verses 10 and 11, examples of biblical characters who remain steadfast because of their trust in God. We can look at their lives as examples, and I would encourage you to do the same. I encourage you to look at the prophets and the, the life of Job. I would encourage you to see what happened, how he was rewarded at the end of his life. His family essentially doubled. Half of them just happened to be in heaven. But he was rewarded restored, redeemed. Their lives serve as examples for us. And there's just one more line I want to draw your attention to. Because some of you, like me, have screwed up this past week. Heck, this past hour. (laughs) And you hear words like judge, and you have a way of perceiving God that feels like he's strict, he wants to punish me, he's going to give up on me because I keep screwing up and he's not. his patience is going to run out, the Bible convinces us that that's just not true, that's not in his character. And whenever we hear about the judgment of God, the grace is always close behind. Look at the end of verse 11. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord. How the Lord is what? Compassionate and merciful. I haven't quoted Tim Keller yet in November. So it's time for my monthly Tim Keller quote. And I'm going to end it with that, and then Kara's going to lead us in communion because nobody says it better than Tim Keller. Nobody. Here's what he says about God's mercy. If you were a hundred times worse than you are now, your sins would be no match for his mercy. Let's pray. Father, you are otherworldly in your compassion, in your mercy. There is nobody to compare you with. You receive us again over and over, you bring us into your life in Christ. And we don't have to depend on our strength to hold on to you because it's your strength that's holding on to us. God, help us in our impoverished imaginations about you and about what life will be like when we actually get to live with you here personally on a renovated heaven and earth forever. Help us to see your goodness, your compassion, to experience your mercy. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.